Welcome to the AMR Studio, a podcast dedicated to the multidisciplinary research on antimicrobial resistance, hosted by the Uppsala Antibiotic Center. Hi, I am Eva Garmendia. And I'm Jenny Jagman. Welcome back to this episode series with the occasion of the World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, which is currently up and running. If you're catching up with us now in the middle of this campaign, make sure to listen to our first episode of this series, which is already available on our website or your preferred podcast app, or follow the links in the show notes. In that episode, we brought to you the work of five researchers at our center who had a lot to teach us about the process of finding, developing, and extending the life of antibiotics. Today, we are hearing from four additional UAC researchers whose work reaches beyond development and focuses on how we use antibiotics and what impact their use might have. As with our previous episode, we hope that by listening to these stories and perspectives, we can increase your awareness of work in the AMR community by seeing the connections and great scope that AMR research has across our fields. We hope that you have a great time with us. From our previous episode, it's clear that bringing new antibiotics to the market is an imperative task that we actively need to work towards. But what happens today if someone acquires an infection? Tumas Tengdian is an infectious disease physician who is looking to improve antibiotic treatment in the clinics. He tells us what his group is working with here. My research aims to ultimately improve treatment for patients infected with multidrug resistant strains. We do clinical studies to implement measures to promote rational use of antibiotics in hospitals. We do studies to investigate impact of dosing and patient factors on pharmacokinetics. So that ultimately ends at simulating or modeling optimal use and dosing of antibiotics in patients. We also try to compare antibiotics and their negative effects on the microbiome, trying to determine which antibiotics are ideal to kill bacteria that are pathogens and still save as much as possible of the microbiome. Also, we do in vitro studies where we um, compare different treatments, different dosing, uh, different selection of antibiotics, also in combination, uh, trying to overcome resistance. But to optimize this use, he relies on the knowledge and research of others to find the best possible applications. I think we connect to multiple disciplines, mainly uh, clinical microbiology, of course, where we try to understand the characteristics of bacteria and how that impacts the effects of antibiotics. Also, uh, we work a lot with genetics to try to understand uh, the genetic parts of it. Uh, how does a uh, presence of specific genes or expression of specific genes impact the, the effect of specific antibiotic therapies. We also work with pharmacists, trying to, together with them, uh, understand how pharmacokinetics and dosing impact the effect on the bacteria. Tumas feels there is something of a disconnect between the basic science and its application in healthcare, and he wishes there'd be more venues for effective communication within the AMR community. I, I think it, it's very clear that we have to communicate better between disciplines. I think as a basic researcher, there's a risk you sometimes uh, forget how your findings can be applied in healthcare. And uh, the other way around, we don't have really good channels to communicate from the medical community what are the greatest needs we have and what studies are lacking in our field. And uh, so I think even when planning a study and early in the study development, trying to understand 
how the selection of antibiotics or concentrations or, or bacterial strains even, how that will influence in the end the applicability of the results. How can this can be translated to the real world? So I think if we can communicate better there, uh, the studies can be more informative and more useful. And when you get the results, also to make sure you have the channels to communicate and, and really implement the new data. One of the ideas behind UAC, I think we need more initiatives like that uh, with a broader perspective on things. So why are we still having these issues and how could we overcome them? Tumas points to structural and funding issues as the main problems. Uh, I think it's a matter of politics almost. I think if funders or, um, I mean, the very lead of universities really understood the, the importance of this, you would make this happen. But as the structure is now and how you apply for funding and how you build your career, I don't think uh, interdisciplinary work is really highly rated. It's a very competitive work as a researcher, so I think you go through the, the ordinary channels and do what's expected of you. Related to what Thomas just brought up, business studies professor Alexandra Waluszewski brings to us the important topic regarding funding. In particular, how basic academic research in antibacterials has changed over the past decades, when most of the efforts have been put to support R&D in small, medium enterprises, something that Alexandra refers to as SME. You know, the lot of, there are a lot of studies on the dramatic change of the pharmaceutical business landscape, including how to support R&D, for example, in startups and SME. But less attention has been directed to what's happened with academic research in the antibacterial field. For example, we all know that the condition of academic research has changed. We know it's short-time financing, we have short-time employment, we have new publication policies, and a lot of other changes. And the question of this project is, how has this change affected the content and direction of basic antibacterial research? The results are indicating academic research on in the antibacterial field has become more short-term oriented and also oriented towards aspects that it's easy to get publication on, while the more risky project and the long-term establishment of research group are facing difficulties. Over her long career, Alexandra has worked in many projects with issues relating to AMR, but one topic in particular has fascinated her from the start. I became so fascinated about the varied use of systems and especially the use of antibiotics in animal-based food. Put shortly, the questions I've been thinking about is why is 75% of the world's antibiotic consumption taking place in food production and very often triggered by production economic reasons? That is, animals get sick by the production. And this leads to the next question, which is how is antibiotics used as an economic resource? And also I'm interested in why the consumption pattern also different, also within the regulated EU setting. It's not only between high and low and middle income countries, but within EU, we have very big variety. So in one study, we investigate the production system within one of EU's most restricted consumers of antibiotics, that is Sweden. And then one of the opposite, the famous food producer Italy, using 20 times more. And we also investigate what I think is the elephant in the room, the logic of brand producers and the retail industry and the economic pressure they put on farmers, more or less 
forcing them to use certain degree of antibiotics. So in order to do this research, it has been absolutely necessary to combine knowledge of researchers engaged in AMR in the animal side with the experience of experts in food production, in logistics, in retailing, and the different economic logics behind these systems. Many countries are actively working towards banning the use of antibiotics in animals for growth promotion. But a lot of antibiotics are still used to treat animals routinely all across the world. Alexander tells us why this is happening and why we need a paradigm shift in global policy in this issue. I would like to raise awareness about routine treatment of animals with antibiotics and why it's used, because it allows a highly industrial production regime. That is, we can treat animals and components, and we can use antibiotics to cut costs of space, personnel, hygiene, etc., etc. And global policy is very much focusing on that we should increase our knowledge about AMR, awareness, and that we should change our individual behavior. Individual consumers should change, individual farmers should change, and it's not focused on the heavy economic systems behind these consumption patterns. And we can ask ourselves, like, who is prepared to share the economic burden of those farmers that really dare to change? We have seen that Swedish farmers pioneered already in the 1980s, and through their engagement, Sweden got the world's first law against routine use of antibiotics. That was already in 86. But we have also seen that after the EU membership, these farmers lost half of the production volume, and they have still not recovered. We are still on the same level, because when we became into EU, we had got an influx of low-priced products from antibiotic-dependent systems, And this is still going on. And this is something, when we talk of change of individual behavior, we see that the farmers, they are extremely scared of what will happen, for example, in Italy, Spain, or Greece. What will happen if they reduce the amount of antibiotics and they will get somewhat higher production costs? What will the consumers do? So it's a very tricky systemic innovation we are facing. And we're asking us the question, who's paying when the cost of change to go from a highly dependent antibiotic system to restricted use of antibiotics? The costs appear on the farm level and the benefits from an AMR perspective appear in the healthcare setting and in society at large. So that's, that's the challenge, how to change these big, heavy economic systems. Alexander has reminded us that we have to think about antibiotic use in animals as well, not just in humans. With that in mind, here is veterinarian and epizootologist Dr. Susanna Steinberg-Leverin to tell us a little about her project and plans to study antibiotic resistance in pigs. My project is on AMR dynamics and macro and micro level factors that affect this. So we will use pig herds as some sort of living labs, a kind of live test tubes. We will take samples from the indoor environment and analyze these samples for, uh, with metagenomics to look for the resistomes in the microbiome. And then we will also collect information on macro-level factors like farm management, antibiotic use, diseases in the animals, and then micro-level factors where we actually take the samples, such as uh, humidity, pH, temperature, any metal residues or, or other presence of chemical substances. And then we'll combine all this data. 
and over time we will take several samples during a year and follow a whole batch of pigs from when they are little until they grow up and we will do this in several farms to try to explore how the, these dynamics of antimicrobial resistance, how they, they, the genes come and go. Susanna hopes that her research will both teach us about resistant dynamics in pigs specifically, but also that her work can increase our knowledge in other areas. I think part of this has been done already. People have looked at what affects AMR in, in animals and in people, but this is taking it a bit further, so combining things that other people have been doing. And that we're looking at pig farms is because A, we're veterinarians, but also because it's a closed environment and, and they have very high biosecurity, so they work like a small population in itself. And this will be applicable to other populations of mammals, including humans, if we can sort of suss out some basics from this. So I think it will work very much in a sort of one health perspective, what works in, in the closed environment of animals and people. As Alexandra mentioned earlier, antibiotic use in farm animals in Sweden is relatively low. Susanna adds to this to tell us about the benefit of working with Swedish animals and her hopes for others and future collaborations. It's really interesting to collaborate with Swedish veterinarians because we are extremely aware of AMR and interested in AMR. Uh, everywhere we, we go and we talk to, to people, Swedish vets are always the first to jump on board uh, to have these discussions. We have a low level of use of antibiotics in Swedish animals, which means that they are suitable for this research because there's not so much background. And also, I think it's, it's good to have this combination of people from different sciences, different scientific fields, that transdisciplinary research is actually something of great interest. It's something for the future. It's very much needed. It's challenging, but it's also something that's really uh, interesting and sort of fruitful and, and uh, it gives you something as a researcher. So I think we should collaborate more across the scientific field. The thing is that this project is just a sort of starting point for us. We, we want to start here and then we want to take this further and into other sort of environments and we want to collaborate with human medicine in the future. But for now we're, we're sticking with the animals and we have microbiologists, epidemiologists, bioinformaticians and so on. But we will translate this into a more One Health perspective. So I think that's, that's something that we see for the future. But you need to start somewhere and, and we can't ask everything from one PhD student. So that's why we sort of... Yeah, so I, I will just, I think we need to collaborate more on in the sort of One Health field, that we have to have all these aspects. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's something that I see for the future. Now we move on to similar work, but in humans instead. As we can't study humans as a closed community, the same way Susanna will study pigs, epidemiological research requires different approaches. Here is epidemiologist Dr. Tuve Fall to tell us a bit more about her project at the UAC. What we do in our project is that we use both Swedish registries of medication and health and dog ownership and such uh, variables. Uh, and we also use biobanks and we do this to study the effect of antibiotics on the gut flora and also on disease. Some of our findings include that we see that children that are treated with antibiotics early on are at increased risk both of asthma in school age and also of uh, type 1 diabetes compared to those that did not get treatment early on. And uh, if these relationships are causal, we think that it might be mediated through impact on the gut flora. This sort of research is a great example of using already collected data to build and widen our understanding of how things might be connected. 
Tobel's work is also expanding the field with new methods and approaches. So it uh, really builds on using registries for drug prescriptions. So that has been available since 2005. And uh, we work very closely with collaborators at Karolinska Institutet uh, on this data. Uh, we also do, we have introduced a new method into antibiotic, the antibiotics field uh, is to compare siblings because uh, we know that siblings share a lot of their environments, but if we can compare siblings that one of them had antibiotics and the other one did not, we can get much closer to uh, causal inference. And then when it comes to uh, looking at the gut flora, we also depend a lot of large collections of uh, biological samples from other scientists across Sweden. And here we use methods that are implemented, for example, SciLife Lab to sequence the bacterial genome to understand what bacteria are there. And then we can look at the different in those treated with antibiotics and those treated without. We also, of course, can then build on other people's work to look for AMR genes in this data. And here I look forward to also be able to contribute with new data that we have generated. We tend to focus on resistance as the main negative result of antibiotic use. But Tuvu would like to remind us that there can be other negative effects of antibiotic use. I think that uh, antibiotics research is focused a lot on AMR, which is really good and important. I mean, we have to really work hard to, to decrease AMR. But we also need to acknowledge that there might be other negative effects of antibiotic treatment on health that are not going directly to IMR, but rather to by modulating the gut flora, which is important for a normal immune system. I think that's important to acknowledge. And tying with our other researchers hoping for more collaborations and communication, Tuve emphasizes for us here that there is a lot of data available for those who can have a use for it in their own research. And the other things I would like to bring into the community is awareness about all the nice data that is available in Sweden. For example, both in the Scopis cohort and in the Simpler cohort, there are newly generated metagenomes. Think together on 16,000 humans with a lot of uh, information connected to that data. So I think that uh, that's also important for other scientists to know about these resources. Check out more information about these databases in our show notes. So today we listened to a bunch more of very interesting researchers working here at the center. Jenny, what are your thoughts about this uh, cohort of scientists? So I was really enjoying the fact that there's a lot of recurring themes here. And some of these kind of came up before the concept of funding, but this is from a different perspective, looking at, I mean, for example, how research projects are designed and funded. And as Alexandra mentioned, it's a big focus on, you know, what makes a PhD project, like these kind of simplified things to make to fit academic framework rather than the best science. Mm -hmm. And I like that that kind of came up with Susanna, too. She said, like, all, all this interesting stuff she wants to work with, but you can't put it all on one PhD student. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of reframing how we think about these things and, like, how you have to start somewhere, as Susanna said, but, you know, building into this more larger projects. And I think Thomas Tindian brings that in as well, that, you know, there's a lot to work on. It's good to plan from the beginning on what are the applications, where do you want to go, what do you want to get out of this, basically, instead of just thinking about it from, like, a fragmented 
publication view mm -hmm. that we tend to have in academia. Definitely. And I feel like, as you say, they all highlight, you know, that there is more need for better communication venues and collaborations. Yeah. And those collaborations and those communication venues don't come for free, right? There is no. needs to be funding and there needs to be structures put in place. And I think Thomas really brings up an interesting point, which is the way that academy is structured right now. Mm -hmm. It's pretty stiff and it doesn't allow for so much wiggle room of doing things differently and interdisciplinary and collaborative work needs to be done in a different way than the traditional academic research. Yeah. If you add on top of this what Alessandra mentioned, that the funding tends to be focused nowadays more on short-term research projects, we have a problem, basically. Yeah, absolutely. There isn't a system in place that allows for these kind of bigger long-term projects with a real end goal of making a big difference. It's it, There's a different focus. Mm -hmm. And I think also bringing like this communication thing, I mean, Susanna brought it in and it was mentioned in Alexandra's, this concept that we have to think from one health, you know, we can't just think about human antibiotic use and that sort of thing. It has to be a more, a broader perspective. And I think that a lot of the people that we talked to in this episode kind of exemplify thinking about things from a little, like a little bit broader, like, and even in the previous episode, actually, you know, are we giving the right amount of antibiotics. So we're reducing the amount of antibiotics that end up in nature unnecessarily. And this balance of everything, I mean, how it all plays together, I think it's important to remember that this is not just human health. This is a broader concept. I, I really hope that our listeners, you know, I think in, in a sense, our cohort of scientists are a little bit biased because they're already part of this very multidisciplinary uh, effort yeah. that is the Uppsala Antibiotic Center, which means they already have an inherent interest to connect with other people. But I really hope that our listeners, by listening to these stories, by listening to our researchers, they can understand how this, I really believe, is the way forward to work in this area. We need people that are really good are doing their own things, but we also need to uh, understand the bigger picture and how things connect with each other. And as Thomas said, the earlier we realize how our, our own research applies to other parts of this big puzzle, the more effective we are going to be. Yeah. And I think it's worth bringing up to, I mean, the UAC is an example. I think this makes it very clear that a lot of researchers want to do more collaborations and want to work in a broader perspective. But like we've talked about, the framework isn't there. So giving them the opportunity to seek funding through things like the UAC, to do projects, do different things, it doesn't feel like the problem is people wanting to do it. It's giving them the opportunity. If the opportunity exists, then they're going to take it. So I think it's a good example of like, I mean, these are just researchers in the area that applied for this to be a part of the UAC. And it's there's no lack of people interested is kind of my idea. <laughs> There's not a lack of people, there's not a lack of interest or a lack of enthusiasm, I think. Exactly. It really boils down to a lack of money and time mm. many times as well. With that, it's time to wrap up our special episode series for this year's World Antimicrobial Awareness Week. We hope that you've enjoyed this week and that you've learned about some new work in AMR with us. Maybe we've even inspired you to broaden your perspectives a bit and maybe even reach out for new collaborations. 
I want to again thank you all so much for listening to us. And I will also want to point out that we are not only reaching out to our AMR community, this World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, but we are also launching a very small campaign towards the general public. If you are interested to share this material with your coworkers, your loved ones, or your family, please head out to our website or follow the link in the show notes. There you will find a fact sheet with some information about AMR and some recommendations on how we can all help slow the spread of AMR. Thank you. For more information about the Upsal Antibiotic Center, please visit our website. You can find a link in the episode notes. You can also follow us in Twitter. Our handle is UAC underscore UU. This episode was brought to you by the AMR Studios, composed by Eva Garmendia, Jenny Jackman, and Po Chen Tang. And a big thank you to Henrik Nis for letting us use his song, Sound the Alarm.